Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventure books, and conversation from 11,000 feet in the beautiful Eastern Sierra and Mono County. And I'm Christopher. I'm Stacy. And with us, as always, is our wonderful producer, Doug. Hey, good morning, Doug. Good morning, all. Good morning. How's it going? It's going great. How's it going with you? Doing well, thank you. Doing well in computer land. <laughs> I, I like this. We have a new platform, listeners. So we are we are able as we're recording this episode. We are we have video images of each other, so we can see each other. Hopefully, not we won't step on each other's sentences as much now. But thank you, Doug, for finding this. And yes, yeah, you're welcome. Getting it all going. But you cannot uh, you can't point out if you see parsley in my teeth. Okay, you, I just don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah now we actually have to dress up for yeah each other. really i know i know i didn't think about that <laughs> <laughs> well as always we're going to kick it off with an adventure listeners and um you know all three of us i'm the county librarian of course and stacy you're the superintendent of education and doug you work with the it group with the Office of Education, as well as being our producer. And all three of us are in cars traveling Mono County pretty frequently, right? Between the different yep. locations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a feature of driving along pretty much anywhere, but most of the roads in Mono County is, you know, there are little historical markers here and there that kind of pop up. You kind of round a bend and then there's a little marker that just went by and you're like, Ooh, what, what, what was that? Um, and there, there's quite a few of them. I think E. Clampus Vitus has really kind of peppered the land over here with little tales of history. And some of them are really quite fun, and some of them are really unexpected. So this week I was driving up to Colville and Bridgeport, and on the way back I decided to pull over and look at a marker that I had passed numerous times and always wondered, what is that? It's it, it's you're coming south out of Bridgeport and you drive through that canyon there. I forget what the canyon is called, but you pass the Virginia Creek settlement, so it's probably the Virginia Creek, and you go mm-hmm. just south past the Bodie turnoff, and there's a marker off to the right. And in fact, in that pullout, there are actually three markers all grouped together, which is what why it caught my eye. And so I pulled off this time just to read the marker and see what it was. And I learned a little bit more about um, Mono County history from that. Um, cool. Yeah, exactly. So what I learned is that in that little kind of gulch area, that little bit of valley before it leads back up into Conway Summit, is there used to be a little mining camp there called Dogtown. And, um, you know, it was apparently the first place that uh, uh, gold was discovered in the Eastern Sierra back in the 1850s. And apparently the largest single gold nugget ever discovered in the Eastern Sierra came from Dogtown. Cool. It is kind of cool. Was there a reason why, did the marker say why it's called Dogtown? Yeah, so apparently it's um, it's really was just a mining camp. It wasn't like a, a typical mining ghost town that you would see around here, like Bodie, which mm-hmm. is very nearby. Right. 
It really was just like this little camp by the river. There are still some old foundations or some old somewhat, you know, broken down walls of, of stone huts. And there's a single grave um, and then a lot of mining tailings there, the, the piles that are left over from the mining operation. But it was clear that these stone huts, even when the walls were probably higher and there was a roof over them, probably made out of wood or something or a tent of some sort, mm-hmm. they really weren't um, good living conditions. They probably didn't keep out the elements very well. You know, it really was just a rough and tumble mining camp, which is typical of that time, you know, Miners would come in and explore and then be prepared to move on. And because of that, the conditions in these camps were so bad um, that they were often referred to as dog towns, like fit for dogs to live in. There's other stories out there that sometimes, at least in this town, or maybe it was a town on the other side of the Sierra called Dogtown, that a lady had had let her dog have so many puppies that pretty much the puppies overran the, the town of after time. And that became Dogtown. There's little different urban legends about, or, or rural legends, I should say about how these towns got their names, but it's clear Dogtown was never really big. It was never really permanent. Um, it was what was a, a placer mining camp and placer mining uh, for listeners who aren't familiar is the typical um, classic gold prospector mining thing of using a pan in water in a stream to sift out the gold from the other other dirt that you find and using water really to do that, which was an early, an early gold mining tactic. And so go ahead. So that was what we call panning for gold when you use the pan in the water and you shake it. And Yeah. And I guess the, the term that is used in mining is placer, P-L-A-C-E-R, like placer County, California, California. Um, <laughs> So the Dogtown, as a as its original uh, gold mining place, only lasted a few years. It brought a lot of attention to the area. It brought a lot of gold prospectors to the Eastern Sierra, and they quickly founded Monoville down near Mono Lake. And of course, mm-hmm. Bodie is the most yeah. famous, which is just right. a few miles to the east of Dogtown. Um, and then they moved on, and actually, uh, Chinese and Chinese American miners came in and took their place and moved in and worked their way through the again doing uh, looking for gold in the surrounding hills and also working the tailings. And they lasted for a, a few years, and then they moved on. And then, in fact, it kind of had off and on prospecting in this little gulch <laughs> for <laughs> a few decades. Um, by the early 1900s, it was pretty much mined out and just is what it is today. And you would never know that looking at it. There's hardly any visual thing that would indicate what's going on there except for the mining tailings. And so, you know, it was interesting just to pull off the side of the road, read this little, there's actually three little plaques and they describe kind of the living of, of what it was like to live there and the meaning of Dogtown and what placer mining is. And, um, you know, it just kind of gives you an idea of, you know, when miners came in, it was really kind of rough and tumble, you know, living yeah. conditions. And then they would quickly move on somewhere else. Yeah. Well, it's also a good, a good lesson for our listeners or for all of us that we need to take time to stop along the way and read those markers and find out. I mean, people took time to put them there for a reason. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know for me, I'm always in such a hurry to get where I'm going. I don't have time, but now I'm going to try to take a little more time. And so I can learn more about 
the history of what's around us. And those markers are everywhere. They are, right? (laughs) Some of them are kind of ridiculous. I actually, you know, I like learning these little tidbits of history and I love it in the kind of um, educational signage around some of the museums and the visitor centers we have where Mm -hmm. they'll go into more of the indigenous tribal history of the area too, because that is so, so fascinating. And of course, they were around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years um, before the miners hit. So, um, yeah, listeners, I encourage you, wherever you are, pay attention to oh, those little signs on the side of the highway. You may learn something surprising and delightful, um, but especially in the Eastern Sierra as you're driving through. And in the meantime, go grab something warm to drink, and we'll be back to chat about books. Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the book section, the B part of our conversation. Yay! Yay! I know Doug did a cheer last time, and I can't remember what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Rah-rah reading. Rah-rah reading. Yes, rah-rah reading. So anyhow, this week, we are talking about audiobooks, which we have not talked about before, but... You know, listeners who tuned into our last episode where we interviewed Sandra DiDemizio, she talked about how she is a big audiobook listener because in her life, that's what allows her to read books is having them playing in her car as she's running all around. So, um, and it's really true. And uh, since we decided to do this episode, I have also found another awesome way to enjoy audiobooks is listening to them as I'm falling asleep. <laughs> Easier than letting the book fall on your your face or your chest as you fall asleep, right? Yes. Yes. The, the only I I mean I have really been enjoying doing that. The only downside to it is when I wake up in the morning, I don't know what I've listened to. <laughs> like I don't know what I've remembered. Like where did I fall asleep? But okay, you know, um, we should point out uh, audiobooks are increasingly popular. You know, uh, it's no longer just people with long commutes putting CDs in their car dash, you know, to listen to audiobooks as they're driving to and from work. People are doing it more while they're exercising, you know, while they're waiting to fall asleep. You know, and I think podcasts and also digital audiobooks Mm -hmm. from online places have just made this more and more popular. Absolutely. And, and the, the easy access, you know, you could download these books on your phone and, you know, you don't even have to have CDs anymore, you know, or tapes. Right. Remember books on tape? Oh, my but gosh. Suitcases. Yeah. <laughs> I really remember when I was a little kid, and I think this is why I learned to read at such a young age, is having the little records that came along with the book that I could play and read the book, you know, I didn't have to wait for my parents or my grandparents to read to me. You know, I had these little tools and I I think that's why I learned to read so early. Those are, those are still very popular with, with young parents, right? I I think that, I think they're awesome. You know, it's (laughs) nice to hear different voices, but anyways, so we each, we each chose an audio book to read. And I chose a book that I'd been very interested to read for a while 
called Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family. And this was published in 2020. It's written by Robert Kolker, who also wrote the book Lost Girls, which was made into a Netflix film. Um, he's He's an excellent nonfiction writer and researcher. In any case, this story, Hidden Valley Road, is the story of the Galvin family who live in Colorado Springs. They had, between 1945 and 1965, they had 12 children. Whoa. Which, in and of itself, is a story, right? I mean, you could have just had a book about raising 12 children. Um, Ten boys and two girls. And as they were raising their family, six of their sons, six of the 10 sons, um, became ill with schizophrenia. Oh, my goodness. And, um, you know, it kind of went the, the oldest and then the next one and the next one. And then there were a couple that were okay. And then there was another um, boy who became ill and they became kind of like a cornerstone for researchers in this, like in the eight seventies and eighties of, you know, why does schizophrenia, schizophrenia occur? So in the earliest stages of research and science about this mental illness there, the theory was it was almost all caused by the mother. Really? Mother brought this on. Yes, it was very maternally based, and it was very nurture based. Oh, but so was, so the thought was it was the way the mother was raising the child. Correct. Ooh. Correct. So as time went on, so you know, in the from the twenties to the thirties and forties, and as researching became more sophisticated, they started to find that, well, you know, maybe this is more genetic. Maybe there are genetic causes to this. So, um, and, you know, as, as things began to become more sophisticated, they could image the brain and see that, oh, well, in schizophrenic brains, the ventricles are swollen. And what does that mean? So in any case, um, that's what this story is about. And, or this, what this book is about. Um, it's narrated by a man named Sean Pratt. He has a really nice voice to listen to. Um, he, he doesn't change his voice necessarily to represent different people in the story. Yeah. Well, in this case, real people, Oh right. But, yeah. um, he will, he does have different modulations to represent you know, if, if one of the sons is having an, an, an attack or, you know, an experience and, but he makes it very nice to listen to. Right. Um, so this was named one of the 10 best books of 2020. It's an Oprah book pick. Um, and he was originally the author, Robert Kolker was originally approached by the two youngest Galvin children who were the sisters Oh, wow. um, he was approached by them to write this account of their family. That is insane. And, yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, there is, and, and I have to say this story, this 
I hate to call it a story, but it is told with such compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. There's no judgment. Right. You know, on, on the, the, the parents or anything. And, you know, it's, it's a little, it, it does get a bit cringy at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, boy, they really struggled. You know, sure. as you might imagine, if you have six, six out of 12 children with schizophrenia, you would struggle. Yeah. But I do have to say it's quite remarkable that when the researchers in the 80s came upon this family and started going into their home, the one thing that was consistent, and by that time, the father had had a stroke and the mother was in the home with the father who had had a stroke, her husband, and five of the six boys Mm -hmm. who had schizophrenia. And she managed all their care, their medication, got them to their appointments everything that had to go along with keeping them safe. Um, And the researchers all remarked that it was in her, she had the most upbeat, positive attitude. There was no like, woe is me. You know, this, you know, she was, you know, this is, this is what it is and that's okay. And it was really very admirable. You know, she's really an admirable figure. I I imagine Gosh, so many things go through your mind, right? So first of all, I've heard about this book. A lot of people have recommended it to me, including staff. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I can understand why it's so compelling. I can't imagine. (laughs) It's hard enough, I would imagine, being parents of 12 kids regardless. And then to have six of them have schizophrenia, which is a difficult thing to manage, especially when you didn't know much about it in society. The amount of... um, guilt or the amount of stress that must have been on those parents must have been unimaginable. And it seems like if that was her approach, you know, to kind of be upbeat and, and more positive and moving forward about it, she was, if, if it's appropriate to say she was the right mother for them to have. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Even, you know, even though it's, you know, as the story's moving on, it, it tells about how there was a, quite a bit of denial on, mm-hmm. on that part. And I, don't, and I don't know, you know, thinking about it, what it must take to parent 12 children. I don't know if it was just denial <laughs> or just complete, just so overwhelmed. Right. You know, there was not any more that they could handle at that point. And, and I will say, too, that... For the years the children were growing up, the father was largely absent. He was at work. He worked for the Air Force. He was constantly pursuing a higher level of education. So he was off getting his master's degree. He was off getting his doctorate. You know, he, he was served in the armed forces and he was at war at different times. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but it seemed like every time he would come back home, if he'd been gone, they'd have another kid. And it was just, you know, year after year after year, you know, I mean, 12 kids in the span of 20 years is, is, is quite. (laughs) So, so what was it like reading or listening to this book? Because it is such a heavy, heavy subject and it must've been quite a few hours of listening. It's very long. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very, it's like, 
30 some, it's like 12 hours. Yeah. It's a big book. Yeah. And they, he, the way it's written is there'll be a few chapters about the family and the individual sons and daughters. And then there'll be a chapter about the research. Mm. And as the book moves on, the research starts like in the, the turn of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And then it moves forward in time. And that kind of helps move the story along and gives you a little bit of a break. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and it, and the, the research that he cites and the, the case studies that were done and, um, are just, are really fascinating. And, um, but you know, you're absolutely right about the, the heaviness, um, of the, the topic, but you know, as, as heavy as it is, it's not depressing. Right. I, I mean, I did not come away depressed by this story. I just came away from it better informed. And, you know, I can remember when I was a little, little kid, my friends, because I wasn't allowed to watch it, talked about this movie called Sybil. Oh, right. Sally. You know, yeah, right. And there and you know, that was like a big deal, Mm -hmm. right? Because she was a schizophrenic, she had multiple personality disorder. And um, none of these boys had multiple personalities, Mm -hmm. but they all had different versions Mm -hmm. of of schizophrenia. And that was really interesting too, was that they all suffered from the same diagnoses, Mm -hmm. but yet it manifested in very different ways. So fascinating fascinating book i you know really i'm really glad i took the time to listen to it it was i just came away more educated and informed and just really enjoyed it it was really worth the time so i encourage encourage people to check it out and how about you <laughs> so i also chose nonfiction, but i chose a different flavor <laughs> i didn't choose <laughs> It ended up having some heavy topics, but not quite as heavy as um, the story you just the the family story that you just read, um, which is in the library. I highly recommend it. <clears throat> so I chose uh, a book by the author and blogger Samantha Irby, who has just come on the scene in the last few years, and her newest collection of essays is called "Wow, No Thank You." If you've been in a bookstore, if you've been on online book uh, websites lately, you've probably seen it. It's a bestseller. It's kind of it's it's green and it's got a rabbit kind of sitting and looking <laughs> at you. Um, and um, you know, I chose it for a few reasons. Um, you know, well, it just came out last year. I think it's her fourth book. She's kind of a humorous blogger. She's kind of like this confessional writer, kind of like a David Sedaris, you know, writes as much about herself yeah. as anything else. Everything is from herself. Um, and, and it's, you know, okay. she balances things out. Yeah. With, with humor and, um, but also hits difficult topics along the way in a really confessional, confessional manner. So I kind of likened her as David Sedaris, only mouthier. She's from Chicago, so <laughs> you know <laughs> she's she's a little bit. Um, <laughs> she doesn't hold back, is what I should say. Um, and this is uh, 
a few more things about her. She's a woman of color. She grew up poor in Chicago and actually she lost her parents when she was a teenager, which is really sad. So that's one knock oh. that she has to deal with. Yeah. And then as she grew up and became an adult, she's in her forties. Now she battled some very serious health conditions, including, um, Crohn's disease, which she has. And she talks about that very candidly in this book. So, you know, that's another thing that she's dealing with. Um, but again, she brings this kind of just matter of fact sense of humor to a lot of this. And, it comes across in her writing and in her talking because she narrates this. She does write for grown folk. This is a book full of explicit descriptions of her health issues, um, candid discussions about friendship and sex, and more than a few four-letter words. So this is not a book to listen to while you've got kids mm-hmm. in the car, um, I would say. Okay. Um, Good note. But, you know, it is very funny to listen to. And, for instance, her reminiscing about going out clubbing in her 20s and 30s in Chicago with her friends, um, you know, and having to dress up. You know what it's like. You would dress up. And as you got older, you she's talking about wearing more spandex, you know, spanks or whatever to kind of suck things in, you know. She, she, she can hit on the guys. But also, she's got Crohn's disease at the same time, which brings huge gastrointestinal issues. And so if you're going out clubbing in Chicago and you're dressing nice, but you've got gastrointestinal problems, you can expect some stories to come out of that. Um, So it does become pretty (laughs) humorous and serious at the same time. Um, And she's now also in her forties now, which means that those of us who are kind of near that age bracket um, can kind of relate to her reminiscing Mm -hmm. about being a kid and the teenager and like mixing, making mixtapes and all this kind of stuff. And she comes into all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of fun. You know, she's been on my radar for a few years now. Her first collection was called meaty. That's where she really talks about her backstory and her parents dying. And that was a bestseller and really got her on the radar of a lot of people, including Abby Jacobson, who helped create the, the streaming series Broad City, um, which helped elevate her and make her more famous. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, her collections are basically like a David Sedaris book. They're a group of mini memoir essays and reflections. Um, and she, in these, she really takes no prisoners <laughs> in talking about other people, but also about herself. Uh-huh. She is, she is self-deprecating almost to a fault. Um, and, you know, listening to essays as an audio book is something I enjoy because, you know, sometimes you're just driving from the grocery store to your house or just commuting a half hour to work or what have right. you. And they come in convenient little bites, right? And as you can just kind of listen to one essay and then pause right. it until you're ready to listen to more. Um, and then as well. So is there any through line? That, well, the, the, I'm sorry. Is there any through line that them? Yeah, I would say, um, apart from her sense of humor (laughs) and you really learn about what her outlook on life is. And she's a very adventurous person. She's, um, you know, grew up poor in Chicago and now she lives married, lives with her partner and, and her kids in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And she talks about that whole kind of transition of moving from a city to a Kalamazoo. And I was like, wow, someone lives in Kalamazoo. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but you know her reading it herself makes all the difference which is some of the things that i look for when in an audiobook the reader makes all the difference and there are professional actors and readers out there and as audiobooks get more popular they're turning into more productions themselves and those of you who've read or listened to lincoln and the bardo by george sanders which came out uh George Saunders, which came out a few years ago as a major bestseller, a really wonderful novel. 
they had dozens and dozens of A-list actors read this very short novel. So, you know, it's got to be a compelling listening experience as well. And she is really good at delivering her own words. She, you know, when she wants it to be funny, you know, when she wants it to be serious, you know, and that makes all the difference. The other thing, I don't know about you, Stace, because you... It it does. Yeah. It being nonfiction, and we both read nonfiction... Um, and we were listening to this on a drive to Lancaster and back. So we had quite a few hours ahead of us. I chose very early on about 10 minutes in to speed up the, the play you can, you know, in an audiobook, you can often right. make it one and a quarter or one and a half speed so that they speak just a little bit faster. Yeah. And that actually made the pace much easier to deal with. I don't know if you did that with your book or not. Yeah. So I tried that. Actually, you know, I, when I, I saw that little on number on my phone, mm-hmm. you know, where I was listening to the book, I thought, oh, okay, I've never tried to play with the cadence before. Mm-hmm. And I did speed it up, but I felt for me, for this particular book, I really wanted to absorb what was being shared. And so I didn't like speeding it up. But yeah. You know what? I heard something really interesting from a friend of mine who's in the medical field. She said that millennials, kind of as a group, they like everything faster. Like they always speed up the cadence of when they're listening to things. We'll have to to ask our millennial listeners if they speed us up. Yeah. So let it, Hey, listeners, let us know if you (laughs) or uh, stay true to the, the, uh, the, the reader's cadence. But I think you make an, a great point that the reader of a book will, can make or break it. And, you know, for those of us that do listen to these, books in our cars, you do not want somebody whose voice is so sonorous that you fall fall asleep. asleep. (laughs) I will say, at least in Samantha Irby's case as well, you you do have to keep your eyes on the road because there are some really just laugh out loud, spit out your nose moments. And so, you know, we almost had to pull over a couple of times. Um, We were laughing so hard. But (laughs) But yeah, the, the the listeners do, the narrators really do make a difference. And some of the narrators are famous. You go to these book conventions and they right. have their own little followings. And just like you follow writers or read every book a writer puts out, some people will listen to every audio book a narrator works on. Um, yeah. And I as did, we found from Sandra last week, they actually have awards. Right. They do. Audies. Who knew? I didn't know. <laughs> Those of us who work with books knew, but everyone else should be aware. It's a listen to audiobooks is is reading to me. And in fact, um, you know, I have a a few friends who are blind or who work with the blind. And we used to have the library for the blind in New York City. They were the ones who first told me, you know, you can speed these things up. You can you can go and it's listenable. And that's how they do speed reading or get through so much reading that they have to do. Um and I found that I will I can speed up nonfiction, but I can't really speed up novels. Like you, I need to listen to the yeah. full delivery of a fiction story. Um, but yeah, so this my book was Wow No Thank You, Essays by Samantha Irby. I would recommend it both in audio and in print form. Yeah. And she's got other books, but again, it's just kind of you you go in with your eyes and your ears open. This is someone who um 
doesn't quite swear like a sailor, but it's it's earthy talk. I will put it that way. <laughs> Pretty. <laughs> yes. But listen- listeners, yeah, let us know what you're listening to, and um, we'll look forward to hearing from you on that. And in the meantime, take a deep breath, and we'll be back with our conversation in just a minute. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen-Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the C portion of our podcast, the conversation portion, where we bring you a local person or organization unique to the Eastern Sierra to tell us a little bit about themselves and what they do, and also, of course, what they're reading, because this is a books podcast, right, Stace? Yep. (laughs) Today, we are really pleased to have Amanda Hoover, who is the, the leader of the Community Services Solutions Organization. And Amanda, uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) You say that now. We're just starting. Hopefully you're still saying that in about 20 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) We we appreciate you taking time to come and talk with us today. So thank you. Thank you. This is great. So Amanda, tell us a little bit. We're going to do what we normally do with our guests and tell, ask for a little bit about the origin story. So are you from the Eastern Sierra or did you move here? Tell us about where you're from and how you ended up out here. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly convoluted story, but um, I'm actually from upstate New York originally. And uh, I eventually uh, married a Marine. My first husband was a Marine. And so like so many Marine families, uh, who get stationed in the Eastern Sierras, uh, we ended up staying here. So I moved here in 2010 mm-hmm. and uh, was living in Colville. Uh, I had my second son here and, uh, you know, just decided to stay. Uh, this is my favorite place I've ever lived. Really? I've lived, I've lived in a lot of places. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. what, make, what makes it your favorite? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's the mountains, it's, uh, it's the people, it's, uh, the laid back way of life. You know, I've lived in big cities and that's for some people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought it was for me at one time, but, uh, I've learned that it's not, uh, the fewer people, the better. And I love (laughs) the, (laughs) I love the open space. I love the wildlife that you get to see here. I'm an avid eagle watcher. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just a great place. I love raising my kids here. Um, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. The Col the Colville Walker area up at the Northern part of Mono County really is just, it's visually stunning and you're right at the base of the mountains. You can go right up monitor pass into Markleyville and yeah, wilderness it's that's awesome. So you, you originally came out, um, uh, did you live on the base when you first moved? Out here? I did. Yep. Mm-hmm, yep. 2010. And, uh, you know, we were there for the, the explosion. If you remember that yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great community, the Marine base there. Uh, we made a lot of great friends there, very tight knit and they really support, uh, the local community too. Uh, you know, most recently during the Mountain View fire. Right. And, um, yeah, great memories there. So tell us a little bit about what you do with your, your job right now and how did that get started? So um, Community Service Solutions, a lot of people haven't heard of us, uh, but we've been around in Mono County since 2002, uh, believe it or not. So um, we have a little office in Walker and uh, we are a nonprofit, mm-hmm. uh, but we are a, a service oriented nonprofit. So we implement programs uh, usually on behalf of counties, uh, sometimes the state of California. We have a couple of uh, programs that we um, administer for the state right now. So uh, I started in 2013 uh, with CSS um, as a nutrition educator and, um, you know, just kind of worked my way up. And we started with two two members of our team, and now we have eight. Wow. Uh, so we have we have really expanded. Uh, but we, we, we run a variety of programs and, um, kind of, um, that will, you know, that are meant to help all members of Mono County. Um, so we started initially with the in-home supportive service registry. I don't know if you are familiar with IHSS. Um, it's a program designed. Yeah. Tell us a little about that. Yeah. Um, it's a program designed to help. Uh, low-income seniors uh, and those who are disabled remain safely in their homes, so wow. that they so they don't have to be uh, institutionalized. You know, sent mm-hmm. to long-term care. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it's a federal program. Um, California, of course, is the largest um, participant of this program. So the way it works is um, uh, someone who's interested would apply with social services, Mono County Social Services. And uh, a social worker would come out and do an assessment with them and look at their activities of daily living. Uh, what are they able to do? What do they maybe need help with? And um, on our side at CSS, we are responsible for finding providers uh, to help take care of these recipients in their homes. So sometimes, you know, people come in and they're taking care of a family member. They're, they already have a provider in mind. And so, you know, we make sure they have the proper background check and training that they are required to have. And that's simple. Uh, We also hire providers uh, just to have on our registry in case someone needs help and they don't know of anyone. So Mm -hmm. we act as an intermediary. We connect uh, them together. And uh, it's it's a great program. Um, It's helped so many people in Mono County. Um, so that's, that's the, that's how we started. Wow. And so the, the providers that you hire, do they, can it, can anybody be a provider or do you have to have, you know, are there minimum requirements? How does that work? So, uh, there are, you know, criminal background check requirements. Certainly there are some exclusionary uh, crimes there, but, um, you know, you don't need to have a, a training. It's, it's, there's nothing nursing related Okay. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's helping people clean their homes, um, mm-hmm. make meals, take them to the doctor, um, maybe some personal care. Maybe they help need help with bathing, um, you know, things like that. Uh, remembering to take their medications. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's no educational requirements. Okay. Yeah. So that's and are you guys grant funded? Are you, do you, or is most of your funding grant? Are you always writing grants? <laughs> Not always, um, but, uh, you know, every couple of years, we usually have a new project. Um, you know, this IHSS program, uh, we contract directly with Mono County for this program, and we've been doing this since 2002. Uh, we have other shorter uh, grants. Uh, we started a grant last year, actually, with the Department of Healthcare Services, and it's a Medi-Cal enrollment grant. Mm, okay. So we are trying to reach people who might be eligible for Medi-Cal. Um, they're not, you know, for whatever reason, they're not enrolled. Um, and also if, if someone has Medi-Cal, but maybe they're not sure what benefits they're entitled to, or they don't know which doctors they can go to, uh, they can call us uh, for assistance with that. And uh, we actually have a Zoom every Tuesday at noon we have a couple of our staff members uh, who are there for um, just a Medi-Cal Q&A. Uh, anyone can log in and ask their questions and get help uh, with that. So, you know, that's one of our programs. That one will mm-hmm. run through next year. Wow. Um, and then we also have a reentry program. This is one of our most rewarding programs. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, this is with Mono County Sheriff's Department. Okay. And we started this in 2016, and uh, we have staff that go to the jail in Bridgeport and uh, meet regularly with inmates, uh, you know, throughout the process when, they, when they're mm-hmm. first getting there um, throughout um, and, and try to make sure that they have the, the tools that they need to succeed once they get out. Yeah. Um, you know, you know that, those types of things, both of those programs that you just talked about, all three of them, but especially the reentry one, are so important in rural counties, rural parts of the world, yeah. because the resources when you get out of jail in Bridgeport, <laughs> you know, there's not much in Bridgeport to help you. You know, you need to find a place to, to live. You may or may not have a car. You may not have someone who can drive you. You know, you're kind of almost in the middle of nowhere. So having an organization like yours to help step them through reentry and get their feet on the ground so that they're less likely to go back to doing bad things again is really important, right? It's, it's very rewarding and, uh, it is very difficult, uh, at times, you know, in a rural environment. And it's definitely a collaborative effort, uh, you know, with Mono County probation and social services and behavioral health and, you know, wild iris, Imaka, so many. Um, but we, you know, we try to help get them situated with, um, whatever they may need, you know, whether it's, uh, a residential rehab, um, you know, DUI classes with behavioral health, uh, help getting their identification cards, uh, signing up for health insurance, you know, searching for jobs, all of those things. So it's very rewarding, um, perhaps one of our most rewarding programs. Uh, and then the last one I wanted to talk about, because I'm sure. so sorry, we do have a lot of programs we run. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one uh, that I want to talk about is our SNAP-Ed program. Uh, it's also known as CalFresh Healthy Living now. And um, I wanted to talk about this especially because it's National Nutrition Month right. uh, in March. And right. uh, you have been helping us down there at Mammoth Lakes Library with some events, I understand. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, we've got a big National Nutrition Month display in our entryway as well. People can come in and find and take away information. It's it's very useful to have partners like you to provide information like this. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for partnering with us. Um, SnapEd has been fun, and we've been doing SnapEd um, in Mono County since 2013. Uh, we've expanded. We actually um, also administer that program in Alpine and Inyo counties as well. Um, but in Mono County... Uh, we're doing a lot of different things, mostly with schools. Um, our staff, we have a great team. Uh, our CalFresh Healthy Living team uh, has expanded to four people now. And uh, we're actually busier now during quarantine, during COVID, than we were before. Right. Um, our staff is teaching nutrition lessons uh, throughout the schools. Um, we are, uh, you know, purchasing uh, curriculum and equipment sets for some of the schools. Uh, it's a program called Catch, and so we've been able to provide uh, those, you know, to schools that request them. Um, we have a uh, an intervention called Smarter Lunchrooms Movement that uh, aims to change the cafeteria environment so that children are more likely to choose the better foods. Doesn't remove the bad choices, but it encourages them to choose the apples. Right. <laughs> so, um, so we were, we're working on nutrition education and, and physical activity interventions in the schools, and then, um, you know, prior to COVID, uh, we were visiting the county food banks, uh, doing taste testings of fruits and vegetables each month. There, um, we were teaching lessons at the senior center in Walker. Um, you know, working with the wellness center in Walker as well to teach some nutrition lessons to their clients. So uh, a lot of great things. And uh, I wanted to um, just let you know that if you're ever interested in listening in to some of our offerings, uh, our team has scheduled some great things. Uh, Courtney with our team, uh, every Thursday at 3 p.m., uh, she goes live on Facebook. If you go to our Facebook page, and we have a segment called Quarantine Kitchen. Oh, how fun. Yeah. So each week uh, she will cook, you know, from her home down there in Mammoth. And uh, she'll have share a, a fun recipe. It, you know, it's, it's a really fun segment. She's great at it. And then we also have a segment called Fitness Friday. Uh, every Friday. This is for kids. Uh, K oh, through five. Cool. And uh, if parents or teachers are interested, they can contact us and we'll give them the Zoom link. Um, and it's 12.15 to 1.30, just a chance for kids to do some, you know, guided physical fitness. I think that's wonderful. That's awesome. We can put those links in our show notes, too, on our website. So okay. make, sure, make sure we get those from you. I was just thinking um, we should put them on the library website, too, that yeah. helps spread the word. You know, again, I'm just going to say it out loud again. I, I moved back to the area about two and a half years ago from a, from a city like you, Amanda, and, and it just astounds me the number of resources that are available to the rural residents of Mono County and Inyo and Alpine is really astounding. There are a lot of partnerships happening between great organizations and county departments that are delivering these types of these things. I, I hope people really appreciate and are partaking of them because not everyone gets this opportunity. Right. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, you know, thankfully we've just, we have a great team and, and they've been able to create these things during COVID. 
um, and try to reach people in their homes. It was, it was very tough for a while to get programming going, but, um, you know, we, we've had some great participation, so we're pretty excited about it. So it also, cool. oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It also allows us to be more places, you know, because these right. counties are so big. Yeah. Instead of taking an entire day, you know, to teach a class in Mammoth, uh, we can be there uh, just like that. Yeah. Totally. So. Yeah. And, and offering it to everybody around our county at one time is, you know, a, a, something that has something positive that's come out of, of the pandemic is, you know, the familiarity with platforms like Zoom that, or right. YouTube that allow us that, that capability. But Amanda, it sounds like you have such a busy, busy job. I hope you have some time to play and enjoy this beautiful place that we live. What do you like to do when you have some free time? Oh, uh, well, if I'm, um, if it's summertime, <laughs> uh, my favorite place to visit, uh, is, is Twin Lakes. It's, I have not seen a place that's more beautiful than Twin Lakes. And, uh, we go there every year. My kids have grown up going there every year. And, uh, we like to just go camp down at the end and, you know, do the hike, do the little waterfall hike and, <laughs> My family, they all live back east, and uh, they love going there. They have been there multiple times. And, uh, yeah, that's certainly my favorite place to visit. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I live a pretty quiet life, you know, taking my, my kids to baseball practices. <laughs> <laughs> that can be all-consuming, for sure. <laughs> yeah, my life re revolves around kids' sports these days. So. <laughs> So can I, can I ask, cause I used to live on the East coast too. Can I ask, do you have a different appreciation for mountains now than you did when you grew up in New York? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I grew up in the Appalachian mountains and, uh, they look nothing like the mountains you see out here. <laughs> Beautiful, but very different, right? Very, <laughs> very different. And, you know, you just don't get the open space out there like you do here. Right. And, um, it's, it's just incredible. These mountains are incredible. I love looking out the window and seeing them every day. Yep. That's one of the wonderful parts about living here. So, um, you know, Amanda, one of the things we always like to ask our, our listeners so other people can hear it is, um, you know, what are you reading right now? Do you have some books you'd like to share? Um, yeah, actually I'm, I'm reading a couple of, uh, different things. So, uh, because I have to travel when I do travel, uh, you know, to Mammoth uh, or Bishop, and I'm spending six hours in the car. I've started listening to some audiobooks, and uh, I've, I've actually been listening to Fortitude uh, by mm. Dan Crenshaw. Uh, I'm listening to that for the third time. Wow. Um, <laughs> it really resonates with me. I love his messaging, and I, um, you know, I always come out feeling very empowered uh, by that book. So uh, I usually have that on in the car when I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. uh, but in paperback, uh, I'm reading a book right now called the big house and it's, uh, it's a book by George Howe Holt and it has a, it has some special meaning to me. Uh, my mom passed away a few years ago and she was an mm -hmm. avid reader. Mm -hmm. I'm mean, just the most avid reader uh, I've, I have ever known in my life. Mm -hmm. And she was reading this book when she passed away. And so I decided that I wanted to finish it for her. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, but it is not, uh, it is not the type of book I would probably select. (laughs) (laughs) My mom read everything. She, she loved biographies and things like that, uh, and nonfiction, but this, this is a fiction book. It's about a house on Cape Cod in this, this summer home on Cape Cod has been in this family for 42 years Mm -hmm. and they, uh, can no longer, uh, take care of it. The taxes have become too high that, you know, the family needs to get rid of it. So, um, they are spending one final summer, uh, at this home and, you know, reliving all of the memories from this house. So, uh, you know, if you may appreciate it, Christopher, um, you know, growing up back East, you know, what those, those homes on the Cape are like and beautiful, uh, you know, he does a great job of, of really painting the picture for you, but it's, uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, keeps me up at night. It's, you know, is enthralling. It's, it's a really good book. You know, it was really well reviewed when it came out. It was a national book awards finalist. So it really got some attention. It's probably a good 15 years old by now, I think, but we should point out highway six on Cape Cod actually ends in goes through Mono County and ends in Bishop. So there's a little bit of a connection there, Amanda. I'm glad you chose that book. I'm glad your mother chose that book. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm about halfway through it, so it's taking me a while, but I'm getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then also, I have two boys. They're 13 and 10, and we like to read together. They they read on their own, but we also like to read together. So uh, my 10-year-old, he is currently, we're reading uh, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever together. Oh, I this love is one, that. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. So yeah. we're reading that together and he'll usually read me, um, you know, a chapter and then I'll read a little, uh, my 13 year old, he just selected, uh, at the bookstore, the adventures of Tom Sawyer, uh, which thrilled me. I love <laughs> Mark Twain. Uh, he's probably my favorite author and Huck Finn is my favorite book. Um, he started reading it though, and he was having a difficult time. And so, uh, we started reading it together and I, I forgot that for a 13 year old, it can be difficult, a difficult read to understand yeah. the dialect. And yeah, so we're reading it together. That's wonderful. That's awesome. You yeah. know, re- reading, I, so I loved hearing that and, and, did, do you had did as your kids were growing up? Did you always read together? Because that is such incredible behavior to be modeling as a parent to your children. Yeah, we've always read together. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll read. Uh, we'll take turns. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, I read a book to them that was one of my favorites as a child: uh, "The Bridge to Terabithia." Mm-hmm. You know, which is a heavy read for little kids, but <laughs> um, did you, you know, cry? So- Yes, I, <laughs> I cried. Yeah, in front of my whole class. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. But yeah, they they really like to read. My thirteen year old, he really loves Harry Potter. He's actually yeah. reading that for I think he's I think he's on his fourth go round with that wow. series. <laughs> yeah, great. I love it. <laughs> my my all three of my kids have read that whole series. Multi, I, my youngest is on her second time around with those books, but they've all read them multiple times and Yeah. There's something <laughs> I you know, it's just great. It get, gets kids into reading, gets them to read. I I love it, but you know, it's mm-hmm. I, 
I think reading with your kids is so special. And I have such great memories of doing that with my kids. And, um, you know, now the, you know, with the two older ones, you know, we, we exchange books all the time. And I, you know, I think that a lot of that is those conversations were fostered by, you know, the time we spent reading together when they were younger. So that's so important. Really important. And then just one, I'm going to circle back real quickly for our listeners. Again, another tangential connection here to the Eastern Sierra. Mark Twain spent quality time in Virginia city and traveled up and down the Eastern Sierra, all the way down to Mono Lake and visited mining camps and what have you. So there's a little bit of a connection there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was not aware of that actually until I moved here and uh, I was working down in the jail one day, and they shared with me the story of Mark Twain spending an evening in the little jail in Bridgeport. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. He did. <laughs> what? He did. Why? I, you know, I forget. I, it was, was it intoxication, probably? Public intoxication, <laughs> something like that? Oh, <laughs> like, I love that. Probably. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spent a night at the little jail in Bridgeport. Oh my gosh, which you can still visit today. You can go walk through it. Yeah. It's no longer the jail. Um, Well, Amanda, this has been terrific. Thank you for joining us. And those are great recommendations. I hope people pick them up. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. Well, we really appreciate it. And we'll, as I said before, we'll put links to your uh, organization and your programs in our show notes, as well as the books that you've mentioned. So thank you so much for your time and i'm sorry my phone is <laughs> i thought i muted it and i guess i did not perils of so, podcasting apologies. Yes. but anyways thank you listeners so much for joining us for another episode of the oxygen starved podcast please remember you can find us on our instagram page o2starved or at our website oxygenstarvedpodcast.com We love to hear from you, so please um, let us know what, what you're reading and what you're doing, what you're up to these days. And in the meantime, stay safe, enjoy the beautiful spring weather, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Starved. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.